Section 26 of The House Behind the Cedars. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The House Behind the Cedars by Charles W. Chestnut. Section 26. The Schoolhouse in the Woods. Blanche Leary, closely observant of Tryon's moods, marked a decided change in his manner after his return from his trip to Patesville. His former moroseness had given way to a certain defiant lightness, broken now and then by an involuntary sigh, but maintained so well, on the whole, that his mother detected no lapses whatever. The change was characterized by another feature agreeable to both the women. Tryon showed decidedly more interest than ever before in Miss Leary's society. Within a week, he asked her several times to play a selection on the piano, displaying, as she noticed, a decided preference for gay and cheerful music, and several times suggesting a change when she chose pieces of a sentimental cast. More than once, during the second week after his return, he went out riding with her, she was a graceful horsewoman, perfectly at home in the saddle, and appearing to advantage in a riding habit. She was aware that Tryon watched her now and then, with an eye rather critical than indulgent. "'He is comparing me with some other girl,' she surmised. "'I seem to stand the test very well. I wonder who the other is, and what was the trouble?' Miss Leary exerted all her powers to interest and amuse the man she had set out to win and who seemed nearer than ever before. Tryon, to his pleased surprise, discovered in her mind depths that he had never suspected. She displayed a singular affinity for the tastes that were his. He could not, of course, know how carefully she had studied them. The old wound recently reopened seemed to be healing rapidly under conditions more conducive than before to perfect recovery. No longer, indeed, was he pursued by the picture of Rena discovered and unmasked. This he had definitely banished from the realm of sentiment to that of reason. The haunting image of Rena, loving and beloved, amid the harmonious surroundings of her brother's home, was not so readily displaced. Nevertheless, he reached in several weeks a point from which he could consider her as one thinks of a dear one removed by the hand of death or smitten by some incurable ailment of mind or body. Ere long, he fondly believed, the recovery would be so far complete that he could consign to the tomb of pleasant memories even the most thrilling episodes of his ill-starred courtship. "'George,' said Mrs. Tryon one morning, while her son was in this cheerful mood, "'I'm sending Blanche over to Major MacLeod's to do an errand for me. Would you mind driving her over?' The road may be rough after the storm last night, and Blanche has an idea that no one drives as well as you. Why, yes, mother, I'll be glad to drive Blanche over. I want to see the major myself. They were soon bowling along between the pines, behind the handsome mare that had carried Tryon so well at the Clarence tournament. Presently he drew up sharply. A tree has fallen squarely across the road, he exclaimed. We shall have to turn back a little way and go around. They drove back a quarter of a mile and turned into a by-road, leading to the right through the woods. The solemn silence of the pine forest 
is soothing or oppressive according to one's mood beneath the cool arcade of the tall overarching trees a deep peace stole over tryon's heart he had put aside indefinitely and forever an unhappy and impossible love the pretty and affectionate girl beside him would make an ideal wife of her family and blood he was sure she was his mother's choice and his mother had set her heart upon their marriage why not speak to her now and thus give himself the best possible protection against stray flames of love blanche he said looking at her kindly yes george her voice was very gentle and slightly tremulous could she have divined his thought love is a great clairvoyant blanche dear i a clatter of voices broke upon the stillness of the forest and interrupted tryon's speech a sudden turn to the left brought the buggy to a little clearing in the midst of which stood a small log schoolhouse out of the schoolhouse a swarm of colored children were emerging the suppressed energy of the school hour finding vent in vocal exercise of various sorts a group had already formed a ring and were singing with great volume and vigor miss jane she loves sugar and tea miss jane she loves candy miss jane she can whirl all around and kiss her love quite handy de oak grows tall de pine grows slim so rise you up my true love and let me come in what a funny little darky exclaimed miss leary pointing to a diminutive lad who was walking on his hands with his feet balanced in the air at sight of the buggy and its occupants this sable acrobat still retaining his inverted position moved toward the newcomers and reversing himself with a sudden spring brought up standing beside the buggy howdy mas george he exclaimed bobbing his head and kicking his heel out behind in approved plantation style hello plato replied the young man what are you doing here going to school mas george replied the lad learning to read and write sir like the white folks what you callin that white man massa fur whispered a tall yellow boy to the acrobat addressed as plato you don't belong to him no mo you free and ain't got sense enough to know it tryon threw a small coin to plato and holding another in his hand suggestively smiled toward the tall yellow boy who looked regretfully at the coin but stood his ground he would call no man master not even for a piece of money during this little colloquy miss leary had kept her face turned toward the schoolhouse what a pretty girl she exclaimed there she added as tryon turned his head toward her you are late she has retired into her castle oh plato yes missus replied plato who was prancing round the buggy in great glee on the strength of his acquaintance with the white folks is your teacher white no ma'am she ain't white she's black she looks like she's white but she's black tryon had not seen the teacher's face but the incident had jarred the old wound miss leary's description of the teacher together with plato's characterization had stirred lightly sleeping memories he was more or less abstracted during the remainder of the drive and did not recur to the conversation that had been interrupted by coming upon the schoolhouse 
the teacher glancing for a moment through the open door of the schoolhouse had seen a handsome young lady staring at her miss leary had a curiously intent look when she was interested in anything with no intention whatever to be rude and beyond the lady the back and shoulder of a man whose face was turned the other way there was a vague suggestion of something familiar about the equipage but rena shrank from this close scrutiny and withdrew out of sight before she had had an opportunity to identify the vague resemblance to something she had known miss leary had missed by a hair's breadth the psychological moment and felt some resentment toward the little negroes who had interrupted her lover's train of thought negroes have caused a great deal of trouble among white people how deeply the shadow of the ethiopian had fallen upon her own happiness miss leary of course could not guess End of section 26. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.